Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Crump, and you are not. And today is Wednesday, 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 March something, 2022. And I believe tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. Is that right? It is. It's right. Uh, and as a result, we are going to have one of my boys on here, Bill Harris, otherwise known as Viper. And do you know, is he going to make his stew? He is. He Is he going to bring his stew? He is. Really. Is that stew going to go in my belly? During the show. Yes. Okay. Now, here's the best part about tomorrow's show. I will be having a stew that you won't. <laughs> Plus, Bill will be here. Like one of my boys. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's tomorrow's show, and I'm geeked out about it because Bill's a riot. I've known him for, gosh, 30 years, probably more than that. And uh, for those of you who don't know, he has won, I think, 300 Emmys. And I'm dead serious. I don't know how many he's won. It's like, like 10 or something crazy. Uh, he is a Hall of Fame uh, reporter. News do, huh? Broadcaster. Broadcaster, uh, just Superman, and uh, a really devout Catholic uh, who serves here at Holy Family behind the camera and in front of the camera. If you watch one of our videos, like on our parish Facebook page, and you're like, yikes, that was me. <laughs> if you watch it, and like, that's beautiful. That was Bill. <laughs> Um, so anyway, Viper will be here tomorrow. St. Patty's Day is a big one for him. He's a Boston Catholic. And uh, you know those people. I'm just kidding. So anyway, but, huh? Don't they have the largest St. Patrick's Day party in the United States? They've got to. Yeah, they've got to. Right? You can't swing a dead cat without hitting an Irishman. My brother-in-law is Polish, and he, was, he, he, he said about how tough life was for him in Boston because he wasn't Irish, and kids were crappy to him about it. I mean, he's not a whiner. I mean, he's just was a hard part of his childhood. But speaking of hard parts of childhood, I have a good news, bad news thing. Okay, should we start with the good news? Oh, yeah. The hot dog stand is open. You don't know what that did to my day. Like today, if it would have been Joe was hit by a car and shattered his right leg, but the hot dog stand's open, I'm like, that's a good day. <laughs> it's the hot dog stand is open. And I ate two before this show. And I ate them so fast, I'm telling the truth, my stomach hurts. I was just so happy. I was like a kid at Christmas, but better. Now the bad news. So Chuck makes the run. He makes the hot dog run. And he comes back with this box, right? So he's got dad, one for dad, one for Carrie, two for him, two for me, one, two, three, four bags of chips, and two pops. So he starts sorting out the hot dogs, and he was like, he finished, he goes, shoot, I thought I got two. Somehow, in what would you say, five to 10 seconds, Marius figured out there was a hot dog in reach, grabbed it, and ate most of it before we caught him. Right under your desk. And it was Chuck's, he didn't eat mine, so I was like, good boy. <laughs> Had he eaten mine, there'd have been a fight. Like, I would have been heimlicking him, trying to get it out. Can you heimlick a dog? I do. Probably. I wish my lovely research assistant was here, but Chuck had to work. <laughs> and he's doing it on an empty stomach. Because I had two hot dogs, and there was a part of me that was like, well, split yours with Chuck. And then I remembered, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't love anybody that much. Like, if Jesus appeared and was like, can I have half your dog? I'd be like, you can have the bun. <laughs> <laughs> the hot dog, I'm sure, went down well. The bun is not going to go down well with him. Oh, he's going to have, I'm going to have problems now. Yeah. Uh, because he's got issues. Anytime he gets any kind of breaded thing, yep. right? Including those marvelous treats that he loves from Great Harvest or right, yeah. Communist Harvest, whatever it's called. I don't know. What's it called? Great Harvest Bread Company. Oh, it is Great Harvest, which is ridiculously good. Um, and their treats, like he craves them, but then he pukes all night. Yep. That's why he receives non-gluten hosts. I'm totally kidding. 
he has the gluten ones. So, uh, today, 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 I'm so excited. And I don't know how far we're gonna get on this because you know me, I'm gonna get all loose, loose, loose. We're going to look at the birth of Jesus and how it fulfills the Old Testament. Now, I'm not gonna cover all of that because it would take forever. Um, and I, well, that's not true. I was going to say, and I mean that. No, but it would take a long time. So you might hear me cover some things and you might think, well, why didn't he mention that? I don't know. I'm picking what comes natural to me. Okay. So, uh, and again, it's going to be so hard to not do a Bible study. Like you saw when I was putting my notes on this thing, I'm like, no, don't do that. Uh, my goal is to show you how a Jew in the time of Jesus would read this and go, Oh, as you'll hear some of the priests and in, in, in holy people did. Oh. Well, how would you do it different for a Bible study? Oh, Bible study. I'd go verse by verse and okay. I'd be like, see, here's how we know the date Jesus was born because they give you tons of information and it's so helpful. Like when Herod, like you'll hear, well, Herod removed, you. it's stuff you skip over. But it's in there, you know, and this uh, this was the time when Herod removed so-and-so and gave him this. And then you can just look historically and go, oh, that was this year. That was this month. You can tell what month a lot of this stuff happened. You know, stuff like that to me is fascinating. Uh, turns of phrases that they use. Um, why did he write this? Why did Luke write this and Matthew not? Well, because one was writing to Jews and one was writing to Greeks. Uh, why do Luke and Matthew have different orders? Because they don't care what order these things happened. They're telling you an order of importance in their head at least, not in order that the events happened. Right? Uh, Magi, it's not they saw the star and the next day were in Jerusalem. It was a four month trip. Uh, you get me? And then who knows how long they stayed at the palace. You and I do things totally different. So, see, this is all Bible study stuff. And this is my excuse for doing it. I'm explaining to you how I'm not doing it. Was seminary the first time you really dove into it? Or you, you've done it all your life? I think seminary. Okay. Like, I listened. Like, once I got to late college, I started actually listening to homilies. Okay. Um, and priests were giving helpful information somewhat depending on the priest. Uh, like, in, in a lot of it, though, I really learned by being in Israel for four months. Because at some point, your brain starts to shift from American. And again, don't do, I'm not doing that thing. Americans are worse or, you know. It's just a different world. It's but it, Yeah. And so there's certain things you learn. Like when it says the Magi stopped in to see Herod. That was a week. <laughs> I mean, maybe not a week, but you don't just like stop in. Uh, a, this is the king. And it would have taken a while to get from, hey, we're here and we want to see the king to getting to see the king. And it wouldn't be, what's going on, fellas? No, it's, hey, have a seat. There's food. There's dialogue. How's your family? No, how's your family? Uh, well, where are you from? Oh, I'm from such and such. Oh my gosh, I have a cousin. Like, this is how people talk. That you establish who's who, and not necessarily names, but do I have a connection to you? Um, yeah, you know, it's just stuff like this. Uh, that that's what you do in a Bible study is you really break it down and try to get people to step out of our way of thinking. And not that there's anything wrong with our way of thinking, but to look at, well, how are they writing? They're writing again. Keep thinking this. You saw the passion of the Christ. And again, that's watered down. <laughs> right. The Romans were masters of torture. The Romans were master of horror. Why? Well, the worse we make it, the less likely you are to rebel. Okay? They call that Pax Romana. What is it? The Romans burn down the city, turn it into a desert, and say, there's peace. That was a big quote of the time. The Romans burn down the world and say, we've made peace. Uh, but what does the Bible say? He was scourged and then he was crucified. Because everybody reading it knew. Nobody needed to go through what it was like to be scourged. Everybody saw it. Everybody saw scourgings. Uh, there were, what does uh, Matthew say? There were 3,000 and some crucifixions Jesus' second year of public ministry. 
Crucifixion was a, 10 people a day. It happened all the time. Um, and crucifixion wasn't a death sentence. Uh, I mean, it was, pardon me. You could hang there till you died of exposure. Yeah, that's why they broke their legs. Uh, so why does one gospel say they broke his legs and the other don't? Because everyone knew that's what you do, right? Uh, so what you're not told, what assumed knowledge is what a good Bible study gives you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, like, again, go back to crucifixion. Uh, how are you killed? Well, you're killed because they, they pop your shoulders and your hips out of sockets and stretch you out. So you can't really breathe unless you stand on your tippy toes, which is hard to do because you've got a huge spike there. And you do it, and you catch your breath, and then you let it out, and now you've got pressure building up on your... I mean, you can read a four-page report that the Romans did by watching the people they were torturing to death because that was fascinating to them. That was entertainment. Um, you can read all these things. Uh, and why did they break their legs? Well, because then you can't lift yourself up to breathe and you'll choke to death. You'll kind of not strangle, asphyxiate, I believe if, is the phrase. If it wasn't quick. No. And they tried to make it quicker. Why didn't they just do it a different way? Well, you killed them when you felt the job was done. Is everybody terrified? Does everybody see how serious we are? Um, so like uh, Pompey Magnus, I'm going to guess 90 years before Jesus was born, crucified um, from the route of, so go with the little toe of Italy, okay? And, and there's a road called, I think the, I can't believe I remember this. I think it's called the Apollonian, Appian Way. I think it's called the Appian Way. And it was a road from there to Rome he lined the whole thing with crucified slaves uh, to make sure and made slaves walk because every slave in the world was going to walk down that road. This is what happens when you revolt. And they hung there for days. Uh, they, he ordered that they hang there and die until they die of exposure. Julius Caesar, here's a crazy one. When he was a teenager, he was um, captured by pirates, which I know that sounds funny, but pirates were a huge problem until Pompey Magnus killed them all. Um, but when Julius Caesar was a teenager, he was taken by pirates and, what do you say, ransomed, okay? And it's hilarious if you read the account of his captivity um, he yelled at the pirates for being too loud when he was trying to sleep. He, uh, uh, he knew they wouldn't kill him uh, because they needed the money. They wanted his ransom. He was mad about how little they asked for in ransom. Uh, and in the end, what he kept promising them, like they liked him. So they were like, eat with us. So we ate with him every night, drank with him every night. And every night he told them, when I get free, I'm going to crucify you. And finally, his ransom was paid. About two years later, he rented a ship, went out, found them, and crucified all of them. But he cut their throats after he crucified them because he liked them. Huh. <laughs> so he huh. crucified them, but then he wanted them to die quickly, so he cut their throats. I mean, this is how people fought back then. You know, people talk about how violent it is now. Psh, this is literally statistically the least violent time in human history, by far. They didn't know any different, right? Yeah, it's just how you lived. Do you know what weapon has killed more people than any other in human history? Seriously, do you know this one? Did I no, say? No, hold on. Okay. I don't know. The Roman gladius. Oh. More than nukes, more oh. than bullets, more than bows and arrows. Uh, the Roman gladius killed more people than any other weapon made by humans. Think about that. And think of how few humans were alive back then. Holy cow. See, oh, this is a Bible study. Dang it. This is Carrie's fault. I won't do it anymore. Carrie is a sinner. Uh, so... <laughs> Why am I doing this? Why did I go there? Do you remember? What are we doing? Well, you were just breaking down the difference between a Bible study and... Oh, right, right. So this was all a very important part of your lesson, everyone. It was according to my plan. So what we're going to do is look at the birth of Jesus, and it's drawn up for us in Matthew and Luke, and it's in a different order. And again, a lot is assumed. A lot of stuff is assumed. 
Um, so uh, it'll be hard to not do a Bible study, but what I want to do is focus on how people, Jews particularly, in the time of Jesus would have understood the things that we read. Okay? Oh, what is a Roman gladius? I think I have it here, don't I, somewhere? Is it up on top? Is that what's... No, that's a Gurkha. Have you ever seen this one? This one's mean. That's a Gurkha sword, but that's not a gladius. A Roman gladius, like, that's where you get the... See these? These are... Um, and then you have two little ones here. All right, these, these guys were serious. Um, a Roman gladius is a short sword. Uh, standard technique of making them. Um, they all looked the same. They were, uh, sorry, hacking and slashing. Well, they were primarily stabbing swords. Uh, so you have hacking swords, right, sharp-edged, and you have stabbing swords, pointy-edged. Uh, gladi gladiuses tended to be stabbing swords. Romans really couldn't, well, anyway, don't get into that. Um, they were about, blade about this tall, standard handle, and it's what the gla Roman soldiers carried. That's why the guys in the arena were called gladiators. It's literally in Latin, people who use gladiuses. <laughs> um, although they all didn't use the gladius. So, or gladius, depends on if you're English. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say on that topic. Okay. But it was the standard, right? They had three things. You had a shield. You had a pila, which was a big long spear with a pointy end, but the way this, the pointy end was into the stick was made so it would break when it hit somebody. So if I threw a spear at you and the spear hit you, immediately the pointy part would stick in you and the wood would break off. Why? Well, so you don't pick it up and throw it back at me. Quite literally. Awesome. Oh, yeah. The Romans were the first to figure that out. They were like, you know, every time we throw spears, they throw them back. Uh, so they wanted spears that would break on impact. Uh, so they had that, and they had the gladius. Primarily, they used spears. Although I know it always shows in the movies, there just wasn't a great value in being a good swordsman. The, the value was, can you stay in the phalanx? and fight that way. And how did you fight in the phalanx with spears? You're right, you're just, you're stabbing over the guy in front of you uh, who's holding a shield to protect you. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> so uh, the first thing you need to know is that what we're describing, the birth of Jesus, because we already went through John the Baptist, right? This is called the incarnation. And it literally is taking on meat. It's the idea that God was conceived in the womb of Mary, uh, in the person of Jesus, fully human, fully God. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, entered the world as fully human and fully God. It would be hard to overstate the importance of the Incarnation. It is the most seminal event in human history. You do get theologians who for fun, not for any value, will argue what's more important, the crucifixion or the Incarnation. And I say Incarnation, but I don't know. I could, here we go. What is the idea? There is no other religion in the world that does any, that believes anything like this. And this is a scandal to our Muslim brothers and sisters. This is a scandal to our Jewish brothers and sisters. What? God became a baby. Totally, completely dependent. God became tiny, killable, breakable. Why? Because you are tiny and killable and breakable. This is the culmination of the rescue plan, as uh, Father Ricardo puts it. That what was our primary, what has been our primary problem? Do you remember the thing that got bent at our fall, right? We talked about the fall, remember this way back? What was the problem? Our human nature. So what did God do? Well, I'll take it on. I'll become human. And so you take our human nature and you fuse it now in the person of Jesus with the divine nature. So divinity is now in you. In the same way that Adam's sin echoed through all humans, well, Jesus 
uh, action of incarnation echoed through every human. That's one of the reasons Jesus says, of men born of women, no one's been greater than John the Baptist. But, uh, but John the Baptist would be least in the kingdom of God. Why? Well, he was conceived after Jesus. Humans are, in a sense, different after the birth of Jesus. The divine was fused into the human, and the human was sown into the divine. This is huge, because what it means is that every human experience that isn't sin is now holy. How about that? Think about that, that God divinized, in a way, every human experience that isn't sinful. How? Well, he did it too. He added the divine to it. Does this make sense? This is such an epic act of humility on our God's part, of sheer unadulterated affection, that whenever we mention it at Mass, what do we do? We bow. And that bow is, wow. Okay, wow. There, this is the incarnation. Uh, and, and Christmas is cute. And because it's cute, we're always in danger of ending it there. Oh, look, baby Jesus in a crib. Yeah, the one they were trying to kill. Covered in, he was covered in his mom's blood. Right? This was a messy, cold, meaning not like emotionally cold. This, this was, this was God getting in the mud. You're stuck in the mud. I'm going to get in the mud. Why? Because that's where you are. That's where I want to be. I'm love. Uh, and this is, I think sometimes, oh, I'm going to try to say this right. When I was a kid, they did the whole mass as a supper, and it is, okay. Uh, and it was just really when I was in seminary, when the church in the U.S., I don't know about anywhere else, started to re-emphasize, hey guys, somewhere along the line, we forgot the Eucharist. We forgot the, the, the font and summit of our faith. That liturgy is not about you and I gathering together. This is about God and what God did for us and to us. Right? The incarnation isn't just what God did for us. It's what he did to us. He changed us. I mean, dang. And that re-emphasis of the Eucharist has been transformative of our church, but I've also noticed a ton of people who are huge on the Eucharist have no understanding of the Incarnation. What does that mean? Well, I show proper reverence for the Eucharist, but I treat everybody like crap. That means you don't give the Incarnation. Uh, I am very reverent and I receive communion in a pious way, but those people over there are doing it wrong. You've lost the Incarnation. God looked at us people doing it wrong and went, I'll be with you. I'm going to get with you. You see, uh, and, and priests are losing this. I see it all the time. This kind of idea of priests returning to, we're above you people, right? And I joke about that. Uh, but it does scare me too that people who understand the incarnation are humble and kind because what they get is every human they talk to God's inside of them and that you can you can get everything wrong theologically and still be beautiful and loved by God God met us where we are then we need to pe meet people where they are not with the goal of getting them to where we are but with the goal of finding God where they are is this this is the incarnation it's so huge we bow Right? When we mention it at the creed, and it's so funny. Did I ever tell you this? I don't know if anyone bows. And I always wonder, because I'm bowing, so I can't look. Do people bow at Mass when we, some? -ish? Okay, just remember that. So when do we bow? Well, for us, man, and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified, right? See, we bow. And I was at a parish where Jesus didn't become man. Did I tell you this? He became flesh. I was like, he was a dude. Sorry. But it was a college campus. What are you going to do? 
<laughs> literally the whole church for us and that some of them did it like to make sure i heard for us for us and for our salvation he was born of the virgin mary and became flesh and you're like okay he was a dude sorry he was a male person. He was a male person, or in Latin, dude. Wouldn't that be funny if that's what it meant? Did I tell you about, well, no, never mind. Um, uh, well, now I have to tell you. Yes. Okay. So uh, the poop deck in, La in, in a ship, I just found this out, okay? It's from the Latin word poopus, right? Um... I know, I always wonder why they called it the poop deck. And all of a sudden I had time and I looked. Okay, uh, where did it go? It's the stern of the ship, right? But it's the, where did it go, where did it go, where did it go? It's a declension of the Latin word, now I lost it, poopus, or uh, pupa, right? Anyway. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> I was just so fancy. I was reading a book seriously that referred to, they were up on the poop deck. And I'm 52. And I'm like, yeah. But then I thought, why do they call it that? And I assumed it had some connection to the latrine. Isn't that funny? No, it's from the Latin word. Um, yeah, for, uh, where did it go? Uh, bottom or rear. Really? Yeah. All right. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Why are we talking about this? I don't know. It's interesting, though. Do you find it interesting? I do. Because I, I, I would, yeah. I always assumed it had something. Yeah, me too. I just assumed, oh, that's probably where they put the latrine or something. You know, there had to be some reason. No, it's from Latin, pupus. Yeah. Which, okay. So this incarnation, we can't overstate it enough. And what I want you to remember, what I want you to remember is this that he became human so we could become like God. And so the rest of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, wherever he goes, he takes our human nature with him. This is why he dies. Do you get it? He puts to death the human nature. And this is why he went to heaven, right? When the disciples are like, dude, don't go post-resurrection. Wouldn't you have been like, hang around, bro. No, he's got to take our nature to heaven. The only reason you and I can by someday, by the mercy and grace of God, enter heaven is because he took human nature into it. Yeah? This is huge. That's why it's a whole verse when it says Jesus wept. Right? It's a whole verse. It's not the shortest verse in the Bible. But that's one verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Why? They want to be clear. Do you know he cried? So when you cry, it's holy. It's holy. Isn't that tight? Ah, it is impossible to overstate how amazing this is that God entered the human existence and sanctified the grind, the daily grind, right? Oh, isn't that a spicy meatball? Yes. Connecting it to the Old Testament, who's the one who tells Mary this is going to happen? Gabriel, the one who sat with the prophet Daniel hundreds of years before and said, oh, it's coming, bro. It's coming. He's the one to say, it's here. How does he greet me? Well, see, that's Bible study. Never mind. Mary's unequivocal yes is a big part of this too, a fulfillment of that Old Testament. Now, we're gonna do some Mary stuff here, so stick with me, but before we do, remember this. The problem all through this is when God says, do this, we're like, <laughs> sure, yeah? Sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we do it half and then don't. Other times we say yes and we don't do it. Sometimes we say no and we do it. This is us. Who is our shining example? In the words of the, the what's his name? He's dead. Uh, third century writer. Mary is the solitary boast of our tainted human race. We got one card, right? <gasps> Look at her. <laughs> okay. Fully human. No divinity. Okay. Uh, and what did she do when God said, this is what's going to happen? She made sure she understood, right? I've not been with a man. He says, 
what does the angel say? The power of the Most High will come upon you and the Holy Spirit will hover over you. This is really important. Why? We'll go back to Genesis. And what does it say in Genesis? That in the beginning, the earth was a formless void and the Spirit hovered over the waters. And what did that spirit do from the waters brought forth life at the command of God? The waters of her womb, the spirit hovered over her womb and from her came life by the power of God. That's real important to us. That's why Mary is so important to us. Not by her will or strength, but by God, especially choosing her and preparing her beforehand. She was ready to do what we should have done every day of our lives. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. (laughs) That's what she said. Okay. Hineni is the word she said in Hebrew, right? Hineni. It's the same thing uh, Samuel said. Okay, remember that? Where there's a story way before this one in the book of 1 Samuel, where when Samuel was a little boy, it says he was sleeping in the temple and the Lord called to him, Samuel! And Samuel thought it was Eli the priest. Do you know this story? And it says he ran to him and he says, yeah, what's up? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. Second time, Samuel! Yes, runs to Eli. What can I do? About the third time it hits Eli, he says, you know, next time you hear that voice, and this is what it said in Hebrew, Say to him, Hinene, meaning, look at me, behold me, I'm here. So the next time the voice says, Samuel, he says, Hinene. And Samuel becomes the first, the last great judge of Israel, uh, who was one of the greatest prophets, Isaiah. And what did he say when the Lord said, look at the mess down there. Who am I going to send? He says, Hinene, look at me, I can do it. Put me in, coach. And we could go through a whole bunch of these in the Old Testament, but make no mistake, the first time a Jew heard this and heard Mary say, he nanny, they went, oh, yeah. Something new and crazy and beautiful is about to happen. Her unequivocal yes is a fulfillment of all of our no's. Right? And when I say no's, I mean the this thing right here. No? No. Sorry. There's a few other things. You know, when did God come? God came into great darkness and fear. The dark was a terrifying time. Two things in that day and age you had nothing to do with if you could help it. Deep water and the dark. Why? Romans and Jews are both crappy boat builders. Right? No matter how much power the Romans were able to project in the Mediterranean, they always stunk at boats. Why? Ugh, stay away from that. Jews were the same way. They just called it the deep. <laughs> right? If it was over your head, it was the deep. Um, and the darkness, everybody was afraid of. Why? No electricity. If you've been out camping, you know what I'm talking about. Put out all your candles or your, your flashlights and everything, and then wait till sunset. That was their life. And that's when the criminals came out. And I don't just mean a little bit. I mean, that's when they came out. Like in most Roman cities, uh, the law was, if you wanted to transport goods, like you know how you'll see uh, like movies, like this is ancient Rome, and you'll see people with carts going through the cities. No way. They never would have let that. Why? Cities were narrow. Streets were narrow and people were moving. If you had goods to move from A to B, you had to do it after dark. Right? No street lights. They didn't hang torches. Dear God, everything was made of wood. Why did they do it then? To keep the streets clear. But what did that also mean? All the deaths and murder and robberies happened at night. Night was a terrifying time. When was God born? In the dark. In the night. He was vulnerable to the weather. He was vulnerable to violence. He was vulnerable to everything. Why would he do that? Because we're vulnerable. Do you see how he's fulfilling every part of our human condition that isn't sin? He's making sure right away it's on the itinerary, right? We'll circle around to it. Remember that? How are we doing? Are people happy? Okay. 
So now let's look at the events of Jesus' uh, childhood in order. Now, you're going to say, well, that's not how it lines up in the Bible, because they're not trying to tell it to you in chronological order. Okay? I'll, I'll real quick say it. So, for example, the first thing is the purification of Mary. Why? Well, not the first thing, sorry. The circumcision of Jesus is the first thing, because that's got to happen eight days after birth. The second would be purification uh, of Mary, which would take place 40 days after her birth, after his birth. The next thing that happens, the wise men go to Jerusalem, meet with Herod, follow the star to Bethlehem, give the gifts, and then go home by another route. The next thing, Joseph is told to flee to Egypt. Then Herod's troop killed all the babies under two. Then Mary, Joseph, and Jesus arrive in Egypt. Herod the Great dies. They come back. Uh, then the next thing that happens is Jesus goes to the temple sometime around 12 years old, and his mom and dad find him there. Okay, those are, that's the order. And again, you might think, oh, that's not what it says. That's the only way to do it. <laughs> they wouldn't have needed to put Mary's purification, uh, in a sense, in chronological order, because everybody would have known it had to be 40 days. Jesus' circumcision had to be eight days. There was no wiggle room here. And no one would have read about Magi arriving from the east and think it happened the night Jesus was born. Would have happened, could be a year, could be years. Take you a while to get there. Again, somebody plotted it out. If everything goes right, it's a four-month trip. From the day you leave to the day you arrive in Jerusalem, let alone getting from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. How are we doing? See, this is not really, well, that is Bible study, but it's important. Okay, so let's look at the first things that happened. Uh, circumcision of Jesus on the eighth day and the purification of Mary, Simeon's prophecy, all of that, okay? So what it says is, quote, when this is Luke 2, I think, 21, I think, when the days were completed for their purification according to the law of Moses, they took him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, okay? Oh, and while they were there, a guy named Simeon was in the temple. And here's what it says. Simeon was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. This is the same turn of phrase. You and I are thinking Holy Spirit, Pentecost. They're, they're thinking, of course, the same thing, the third person of the Trinity, but... They're thinking more, again, the image of the Spirit hovering over the waters. The Spirit's about to create something. You get me? Um, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Messiah of the Lord. The Spirit brought him to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law at, in regard to him, so what they're saying is circumcision, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and blessed God, saying, quote, Now, Master, let your servant die in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to his mom, Behold, this child is destined to be the rise and fall of many and a sign that will be contradicted and you yourself a sword will pierce so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So let's walk through. According to the Mosaic law, this is Leviticus 12. A woman who gives birth to a boy cannot for 40 days touch anything sac sacred. Okay, she's considered impure. Um, at the end of this period, she's required to offer either a year-old lamb or a burnt offering and a turtle dove or young pigeon as an expiation of sin. What do we know? Well, clearly she couldn't afford a lamb. She brought two turtle doves and two pigeons. Uh, so they took him up to present him to the Lord. Uh, and where did they take him? The temple. This is what's curious, and Jews would have caught this. There was no requirement to take him to the temple. Okay, there, I don't know why they did that, uh, but there's a connection to the Old Testament. Hannah did that. Okay, Hannah, when it came time for her child to be presented to the Lord, she took him to the temple. And who was that child? Samson. 
yeah? So there, there's a connection there, okay, that, that you're supposed to catch if you're in this time, a connection to that fulfillment of the Old Testament. Hannah, who cried out to the Lord, uh, receives a son, and she dedicates him to the Lord, and he saves Israel. That's what Mary's about to do. But what's the uh, lay on? This guy says, a light to the Gentiles and a sign that's going to freak Jews out. He says it better than that, of course. But that's his point. He's going to be a contradiction. What do you mean a contradiction? We're going to kill God. And God's going to let that happen. That's a contradiction. Um, This circumcision fulfills the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, What? Well, the Lord said, forgive me, but this is how the Lord said it. I killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians for you. I didn't want to. I had to to save you. I want your firstborn dedicated to me to remember what I did. Right. So that's the whole idea. You dedicate the firstborn male, as they say, the male who, quote, breaks the womb, um, fulfills the command of our Lord. He didn't want to kill all those people. Uh, but he had to to save his people. And so the command was, now when you have your first son, you give him to me. Right? Let me have life too. Now, of course, the beautiful thing is, who is Mary and Joseph presenting to God? God, who will then take the bullet for us. Okay? How we doing? Does that all make sense? In terms of Mary and the sword shall pierce your heart, it's just to make clear to you, Mary's human. She's going to cry at the cross. Uh, She is going to cry when her son gets hurt. Uh, She is going, she is human. Um, And I think a lot of our Protestant brothers misunderstand us on Mary. And sometimes, I'm going to be honest, I think it's pastors who don't know what they're talking about, who can sound like experts on Catholicism. We don't worship Mary. We honor her um, as the best thing that happened to us humans in regard to he used one of us to save us. Do you get that? He didn't have to. God could have went... And it's done. He let us be a part of the process. Um, And that's pretty tight. That's really tight. Jesus, God could have chose to have been born without a mother or father. How are we doing? Good. So Jesus' birth fulfills this promise of our God. In the same way that he never left the Jew's side in the desert, right? Remember, he appeared to them as a pillar of fire by night and cloud during day. He was right next to them every step of their journey from slavery to freedom. And this is what our God is doing for us. So the next thing that happens, how are we doing? Any questions? I see a type and I want to make sure I don't miss any. Where did the sacrifices originate from? What do we mean? I think the idea of sacrifices. Oh, uh, blood guilt. You owe blood. Yeah. Uh, Every sin is an offense against God. And every sin incurs a debt. But what God says is, I'll take the blood of a creature, of an animal, rather than your blood. It's kind of an idea of replacement you could say. Plus, it's a sacrifice. Um, You know, you and I look now, I don't know if you've ever seen a sheep farm. I saw a few, uh, and it's just a billion sheep. No, back then, you had one or two. uh, And to give up one was a sign that God is most important to me. Yeah, God is most important. Oh, Dad, hey, looky here. Dad just walked in. Maria stole... Chuck's hot dog. Yeah. And I felt bad or something? Yeah. Is that what I'm supposed to say? Okay. And you see how Simeon was just hanging out in the temple waiting? That's another thing you and I are supposed to draw from this. This Old Testament that the temple is the center place. Right? The temple is where the good things happen. Um, okay. So uh, we will now look at... Did we do... Yep, we did all that. Or is there another one? 
Nope. But that next one. Okay. What's the star? Oh, okay, we'll hit that. Can you help me remember? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so now what do we get to? Uh, we get to the wise men. And so you hear different names, magi, kings, all of this. They were dudes. They were, I can get, I get these words mixed up. The people who look at stars, stargazers, not the thing in the newspaper that's Astro baloney. Astrology. Astrology, not astronomy? Or is it astronomy, not astrology? Astronomy is studying the stars. Astrology is studying their birth. The oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It's not the BS. It's the scientific. Astronomy. Astronomy. Why? <clears throat> the stars were mysterious things to these people. Uh, it really is amazing how much they knew um, and how much they understood and how much got lost when the Western Roman Empire fell. They understood that certain planets and certain stars appeared. They might not have understood what they were, but they could chart it. Romans were masters of charting it. Um, so there were people whose whole lives were de devoted to looking at, into the heavens and figuring it out, right? What's going on up there? Uh, is it the gods moving about? Romans were big believers in that, right? Uh, when did, um, why is Mars called Mars? Did I tell you this one? This is crazy. Did I told you this? No. Okay. So Mars for the Romans was the God of war. Okay, it's where we get the word Marshall. That's where Marius gets his name, right? Of Mars, uh, meaning the warrior. Okay, uh, where did the Roman troops gather before they went off to war season? The field of Mars. Uh, everything was about that. Uh, uh, they found a, a, a prayer that uh, pagan Roman soldiers would pray, kind of, after battle. Literally, they would, you know, frankly, be covered in blood. And that a... Um, I'm going to say Persian, but I'm wrong. A non-Roman who was watching the whole thing saw that afterward, there they were all covered in blood, holding up their hands and screaming, Mars, Mars, look at me. This is for you. Right? It was like, this blood, it's for you. It was a sacrifice. Well, there's a war season back then. Once everything was planted, that time between planting and harvesting, you went and killed people for your country. Yeah? When, what did they notice? Well, every year, right about then, this bright red thing appears in the sky. Mars. That's Mars. He's coming to get his blood. Isn't that something? Yeah. That's why it's called that. They knew Jupiter was huge. And the god Jupiter, they would say Jupiter, uh, I always mess this up, Optimus, the biggest and the best. Right? He was the biggest and the best of the gods. And so it must be Jupiter. It's the biggest one. Isn't that funny? That's where we get that. Uh, so Mars and for the Romans was Aries for the Greeks, right? Jupiter for the Romans was Zeus for the Greeks. It was the same gods, just different names depending on where you hung out. So these cats are looking at the stars and they see this conjunction, what we believe is the conjunction of the god of war and the god of love, Venus and Mars. I think I'm saying that right, okay? And to them, it's a big sign. Big sign. So what do they do? They head off because they interpreted it that a new king of the Jews was born. So what are we going to do? Well, bring him stuff. That's proper to do. When a new king of a significant kingdom is born, you go bring him stuff to show your subservience and your affection. This would have been normal. Okay? So these cats arrive in Jerusalem, right? The headquarters of the kingdom because they're like, well, it's a king. This, right? Where would you go if you want to meet the president? D.C. Yeah. Or a golf course, depending on who's president. They arrived in Jerusalem saying, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his start. It's rising. We've come to do him homage. So the king, who hadn't recently had any kids, was like, huh. And Herod was a snake, man. Uh, so what did he do? He got the chief priests and the scribes and said, where's the Messiah going to be born? Right? Where does scripture say? Herod gets it. Okay, He gets it. Um, and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. And then they tell him the scripture passage that quotes it. Now, side note, Bible study note, gotta do it. You'll notice a few times when Jesus is an adult, people are like, well, he was born in Nazareth. No, he wasn't. Right? They don't know. 
They get a lot wrong about Jesus, the people who hate him, which is really fascinating. You'll see one point where the religious leaders say, well, he can't be that. He can't be the Messiah. He wasn't even born in Bethlehem. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, okay. So uh, they give him the scripture. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least of the tribes of Israel, since from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. So then Herod gets the Magi and was like, so uh, when did you see the star? <laughs> He's already trying to figure out who to kill. Well, isn't this awful? Yeah. So he tells them, yeah, oh, go look for him. Let me know where he is so I can do him homage too. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So what do they do? They come to Jesus and they bring gifts. And this is interesting what they do here. What do they bring him? Gold, frankincense, and meh. Meh. That's how you're supposed to say it because Jesus was from Boston. So in Isaiah, it prophesies that people are going to come to the new king and bring gold and frankincense. They didn't say crap about myrrh. Why? Myrrh was an awful thing to bring. That's terrible. That's bringing a baby their coffin. That's what they're doing. Okay. They want you to see the fulfillment of the Old Testament, but also a new thing. Gentiles have wisdom. Gentiles can hear the Lord because, as it turns out, they needed to bring him myrrh. Right? Look at the fourth verse of We Three Kings. I always point this out. Do you know the fourth verse, right? So the first one is We Three Kings of Orient are smoking a big Cuban cigar. One was loaded, it exploded. Is that how it goes? No. Something like that. No, but then they say, what? Gold is mine. Uh, gold is my uh, something like gold was the first verse then frankincense to offer have I incense owns a deity nigh uh, smash 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 right so the first verse gold because he's an earthly king uh, frankincense because he's a god now ready for myrrh this is what the verse says myrrh is mine it's bitter perfume breathes a life of gathering doom sorrowing sighing bleeding, dying, laid in a stone-cold tomb. Oh, oh, star of wonder, star of night. Right. It's just a death symbol that they brought him. Yeah, he's king. Yeah, he's God. And he's going to have, he's going to be killed. Holy cow. Okay. This is huge fulfillment and addition. How is the covenant fulfilled? Well, it was prophesied. They will bring him gold and frankincense. If they would have said myrrh, people would have been like, bro, I don't think you heard the Lord right. Because again, no one saw this coming. The birth of Jesus is laden with things that the people of that time would have heard and went, oh, sure, or went, whoa, who brings it? Can you imagine? Or someone, your best friend gives birth and you're like, hey, we got you a coupon for a funeral home for when this kid dies. That's what they brought. Although with the prices of grave plots, it might be a good idea. <laughs> you know, Germans would do that, I'm sure. <laughs> Given you know, you, you, Germans would do it. Your, your child is born and he will die. Here's his grave plot, yeah. Next thing that happens is Joseph is warned, go to Egypt. Okay, why is Joseph sent to Egypt? Because of treachery and violence. Sound like another Joseph you know? Remember way back in Genesis? Treachery and violence puts Joseph in a hellish place called Egypt. But it turned out he needed to go there. Remember this? Why? Because in a few years, Israel will be dying of hunger and he'll feed them. Right? This is every Jew reading Joseph taking, a guy named Joseph of all things, taking Jesus, taking little baby Jesus, little baby six, ounce, six pound, eight ounce Jesus to Egypt. All they're going to be thinking of is liberation. Right? Does this make sense? Did I explain that well, Kerr? Yes. Yeah? Okay. Yes. So then 
what's the next thing that happens? This is all, all of it is supposed to bring us right back to Joseph, Moses, the Exodus, the Passover. Because what did Egyptians do? The Bible's clear. And all, almost all slave-owning countries did this at the time. What do you do? Every few years, you kill all the boys two years old and younger. Why? Make sure there's never enough males to revolt. And this was normal. Uh, this was normal. And what does Herod do? Herod orders kill every boy two years old or older or younger. Why? He's not taking chances. If the guy who's the next king is there, let's kill him now. Just like every time travel movie. This is basically where the Terminator movies came from. You didn't find that funny at all. I thought that was hilarious. Did you really? I did. Okay, because I didn't see a lot of laughter there. <laughs> As you can imagine, not a huge fan. Yeah. Well, I see you and David Kerr are just firing text back and forth. Is he watching right now? No, he's oh. not, obviously. He thinks I have time to text. <laughs> well, tell him I just stuck my tongue out at him on the show. David Kerr is awesome. For those of you who don't know him, he's our Diocesan Communications Director. And he's from Scotland! <laughs> he's got a thick accent. <laughs> right? You've heard him talk. Uh, I, it's tough. But he's amazing. I like him. Have yeah, you yeah. met him? Yeah, have you met him? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, what were we talking about? So Herod orders the death. Oh, we got to wrap it up. Okay, so I'm almost there. Yep. Um, and they do it. Guys, this isn't, you know, again, this is right away the birth of Jesus evokes tremendous violence. The devil will not go down quietly. Uh, killing children... He doesn't have rules. And this society didn't have rules. Again, remember, this was a practice that people had been doing forever. When you had a race of people in servitude, you kill all the boys every few years so that there's not enough of them to rise up. The Egyptians did it to the Jews, and now the Romans are doing it. They want you to see. God laid it out in such a way for you and I to go, look what he's saving us from. And look at how it's connected to the Jews in Egypt being freed from slavery. You and I being freed from slavery to sin. Okay? Um, you know, as a side note, I, I always forget to mention this, and so I don't think I did. When we talked about this, do you realize that in that whole story of the Jews' exodus from Egypt, they never named the Pharaoh? They named the Pharaoh before him. They named the Pharaoh after him. They never give you his name. They won't even write it. Yeah. So what it tells us there is a voice is heard in Ramah. That's what it says. When all the boys were killed, sobbing and loud lamentation, Rachel is crying for her children and she will not be consoled because they are no more. This is what reminded everybody of Jeremiah 31, 15. Right? Uh, now they wouldn't have said it that way. They didn't do chapters and verses. But Rachel, the wife of the patriarch Jacob, Joseph's dad was crying for her kids taken into exile at the time of the Assyrian invasion. Um, Bethlehem was traditionally identified with Ephrath, the place near which Rachel was buried. And the mourning of Rachel here is applied to her lost children. Yeah. Ramah is six miles from Jerusalem. Make no mistake. The Rachel is crying so hard, they hear it six miles away. Six miles away, they can hear the screaming of the moms. Okay? Um, it's to be a reminder that sin doesn't take prisoners. Yeah? Uh, it's a reminder of how hard the devil will go to make sure you stay enslaved. And it's a reminder that God still got away through broken, through human vessels. He let humans save him. Isn't that cool? Um, this is, I don't know, I found this fascinating, okay? So the date of a, so you know how we go through, and you'll see in a minute, they're going to tell us Herod the Great died. Uh, and then it says he had ruled this long. Well, at the beginning, it tells us Herod had been king this long, so it gives us about a one-year window when this happened. Do you, do you get me? They let you do the math. 
Now, if you do the math, it's exactly the same day that Jacob met the Pharaoh in Egypt in 1875 BC. Isn't that nuts? It's the exact same day on the Jewish calendar. Um, the date that Joseph arrived in Egypt is the same date that Jacob arrived in Egypt 1,875 years before that. Isn't that crazy? That's just God showing off. Like, and I wonder if he made them wait in the desert a day just to line it up. Like, Joseph, slow down. Stop at the 7-Eleven. <laughs> You gotta know our Lord did something. Like Joseph's like, why does my foot hurt? Let's take a day off. <laughs> so maybe I should stop now. Um, yeah, I'll do the rest next week because we got to get through the death of Herod, Joseph coming back to Israel, Jesus getting lost in the temple, kind of lost, not really, but um, yeah, I think that'd be a good idea, huh? So thank you for tuning in. I hope you found this helpful. Was this okay? Yeah. All right. Um, and. I will see you beautiful people tomorrow when we're going to talk to Wild Bill Harris. And I'm going to eat. This was tomorrow, St. Patty's Day. Did I tell you I can't really care less about St. Patty's Day? Isn't that terrible? We'll help you. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I like that people are happy, you know, but I'm German. Yeah. Our, our, you know how we celebrate? We work more. <laughs> Right, Dad? Let's see what the Irish do. Yeah, drink. and they drink. <laughs> the Germans are like, we can drink and work. We were watching, Dad and I, this uh, documentary on tanks, the history of tanks. Wasn't that fascinating? Yeah. Yeah. We've got one more hour to go. We watched four hours so far of this. But they were showing how when the Germans built, which tank was it? It was a more modern yeah. one. It wasn't a World War II tank. Oh, no, it couldn't have been. But, Carrie, this is crazy. Okay, they did this. We saw it with our own eyes. So huge tank, right? With a big old, uh, not spigot, um, the, the thing out which the ammo comes. The cannon. The cannon. The, the, so, and then you know how it's square at the end, right? Which is the flash suppressor, okay? They put, they were trying to show how smooth this tank rode. They filled a thing of beer and put it on the turret the, 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 the flash suppressor. Is it a flash suppressor? I assume at the end of the barrel, like on a hand, a piss yeah. shape. Okay. And drove and not one drop. Like they were going over hills and that thing just, they were showing how it stays level when the tank, so you can shoot while you're running. This was crazy. We saw it with our own eyes and we were like only Germans. Like rational, normal societies would be like, well, let's put a glass of water on there and show everyone. The Germans are like, no, we got to use beer. <laughs> and do you know who invented beer? Do you know the oldest beer recipe in the world ever found? Egypt. True story. <clears throat> what are we doing? Are we done? We're praying. Okay, we're going to pray, and tomorrow I will see you beautiful people when we sit with Wild Bill, and I eat stew, and I just let Bill do all the talking. <laughs> He's making a stew tomorrow. Did you know that stew no. he made last year? Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. With Joe with black beer. Yeah, well, is there another kind? <laughs> I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh, Ukraine. Do you think, okay, I didn't run this by you. I don't know. I can give you guys a history of Ukraine. Like, I'm not on the show. We could do a special show and just let people watch it because it has nothing to do with Jesus. But what's going on in Ukraine now, I don't, I hate how I sound. I saw it coming. Everybody who knows this stuff, this was coming for 10 years. Um, and if you want to see a phenomenal and horrible, you will cry documentary that's part of the reason Russia uh, is coming after them, then you need to see on Netflix, it's called Winter on Fire, uh, about the revolution, what was that, about eight years ago, where the Ukrainians really said to Russia, stop. And that was the beginning of the end for them. Uh, it, well, I hope it's not the end. You know what I mean. But if you ever, if you think it would be helpful, let me know. And maybe we could just record a show where I walk people through. Here's why it's happening. Here's what's going on. As best I know as a guy who reads a lot of history. Because um, this isn't out of nowhere. 
and it's awful what they're doing to the Ukrainians. Um, and I hope we're praying for them. So I'll stop talking now. Let's pray. Let me know if you want that. And if not, it doesn't hurt my feelings at all. Oh my gosh, it's less work, but uh, okay. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, your incarnation was the best thing that ever happened to us. How lost we would be. Lord, you prophesied this for 2,000 years. You were so excited to let us know what was coming. Thank you that we get to live in the age where it happened. In fact, Jesus, in your words, blessed are our eyes who see what thousands of years of people long to see. Blessed are our ears who get to hear what thousands of years of humans wanted to hear. Help us never take this for granted. And Lord, we call out to you about Ukraine. Save them. Come to their rescue. Drive the Russians from their midst and keep them free and safe. Lord, you know the people we love and we worry about. And you know all of those situations that we fret about. We give them all to you, Lord, because we love you and we trust you. And may the blessings of Almighty God be with you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, you beautiful people. I will see you tomorrow. Oh, and I almost forgot. Massive props to New York and Martha in particular and Mrs. K. And I say that because they filled my belly. Have a great day, guys. See you tomorrow. Is it over? No, it's never over.